In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will not ask questions and seek your input, but I am genuinely interested in how, how you hear this gospel, because you've heard it many times. The king has arranged for a wedding for his son. Servants are sent out to call those who were invited but did not come. Other servants were sent. Tell them that who were invited, behold, the dinner is prepared, oxen, fatlings are killed, everything's ready, come to the marriage. Um, they didn't come. Not only that, but some of the servants who were sent out, there's two sendings of servants already. Um, Some of them were mistreated. Um, Some of them were killed. The king heard that. Sending armies, he destroyed the murderers and burned their cities. Well, it says burned their cities. So maybe the murderers only were in one city. Remember, this is a, a parable, but still. And then... A third mission of servants, go into the highways, find as many as you can, call to the marriage. And so they did that, and they found good people and bad people, and the marriage was filled with guests. The king went in to see the guests, saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment, and said, friend, how is it that you came in not having on a wedding garment? And the man was silent. So the king says to the waiters, bind his hand and feet, cast him into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many or few are called, few are chosen. On the level of a story... I have to admit, it's always struck me as um, jarring. Now, granted, the man, we, we know the allegory. We know that the man who's being expelled is being, uh, um, the, way it's, the way his expulsion is described, wailing and grinding of teeth, um, we know that that represents souls that are damned. Now, fortunately, in the parable, the man who's not, I say fortunately, for the sake of my not being even more uh, discombobulated by in the in the context of the story, the man who isn't properly dressed for the wedding, he's simply expelled. He's not killed, and his city burned. He's expelled, though. The man was invited. We already know that. That's why he's there. He was invited, so he accepted the invitation. Now, those of us who were raised by parents who expected us to be groomed and dressed and ready to go to church on time, we've always sort of liked this parable, admittedly, because 
we know that um, you're supposed to be dressed well for church, right? So um, we got the memo, and we're compliant. So we sort of like this gospel. But, but that's not really what it's, that's not what it's about. To me, what's, what's, what's fascinating is, um, and jarring and discombobulating still, is how the invitations were sent ignored, servants were sent again, servants were sent again saying the dinner is actually ready. And some of those servants were killed. Why, why would they have been killed? Why would they have been killed? The retaliation makes sense. If you kill my servants, I'll burn your city. I don't mind that. Why is it the, what is it about the invitation of the king that inspired such hatred? Do you just go to the wedding? What's the big deal? You... you by gift. It's not the end of the world. Maybe it's a few days. But to me, that's the, that's the part that just demands explanation. We know from the fathers of the church that this parable is being addressed to us through St. Matthew to describe the heavenly banquet to which we are all invited. And so there is something immediately uh, um, to grasp, to, to um, consider, so that we uh, forget the incongruities or seeming incongruities of the parable itself. Because the point of the parable is um, obvious. Prophets were killed. Christ was killed. We've heard this kind of parable before about the vineyard and the, the vineyard owner and the tenants. So it, it, it sounds very familiar as a, as a it's, it immediately begins to sound like a reminder of that which we already know, that which we've already been taught several times. And so we go back to normal. And the killing of the, of the servants, that could just be a matter of just complete disdain for life. It might not even have, it might not even reflect a, uh, one, the, the attitude of the murderer about the wedding or the invitation or the one being invited. It could just be an, an illustration of how, how evil they were. So let me, as I want to walk back a few steps and make a few observations along the way, hopefully. Um, to your benefit. One, the, the murderers who were invited show that the king really was inviting anybody. He was inviting even the worst people. 
And really and truly, God is inviting even the worst people to join the body of Christ, to be in the church, to live in the church, to benefit from the prayers and the grace of Christ, and to go to heaven. Christ isn't just inviting nice people. He's inviting everyone, including the worst people, which means we need to be reaching out to the worst people. In what way, though? So what, what was the invitation, and, and, and how, how does the wedding garment really factor in anyway? A suggestion. Being a, an, an amateur student of history, and especially an amateur student of, of kings and queens and marriages and uh, popes and alliances, the, 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 the wedding is a significant thing. We already know that the king arranged this for his son. It is curious to note in the course of the retelling of the gospel parable that the bride is not mentioned. That should catch our attention. In the same way that at the Last Supper, the lamb is not mentioned. That should get our attention. Someone we know well is substituting for that. Or in the case of this parable, I don't think we're just being invited to heaven the way that attendees were invited to spectate at a wedding. Minimally, given our thumbnail depth of historical knowledge, um, as people who read a little bit about lots and lots of things, we know that attending the wedding is a sign of approval. It's a sign of um, it, 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 it's a sign of our endorsing this union, this alliance. Is that enough for them to say? I'm not coming? Sure. Is that enough for them to say I'm going to kill the servant you sent to invite me? Maybe. But what's very clearly the case, because we know the purpose of this parable, is that we're, we're invited not just to spectate at a sacred event. We're invited to be the bride We are invited to be the bride of Christ. We are invited to a union with him in the church, which involves our complete change, which involves our being completely united to him, which involves our the, the, the complete transformation of our lives. We are, the, we are the brides. Collectively, we know ourselves as the church, as the body of Christ. The spotless bride of Christ. The wedding garment is, is crucial. This man wasn't 
He wasn't invited to spectate and, and eat at the buffet. This man was invited to be part of the wedding party. He was invited to be involved in, 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 the, whole, uh, in the whole event. He wasn't just invited to, to lend his voice and cheer it on, but, 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 to, but to actually be involved, to play a role. You, you, the wedding garment is a sign that you've accepted your, your role as part of this party, as a groomsman, as a, maybe even just as an usher, but or the, the best man, or, or mystically, as the bride, the one whom Christ will cleanse with his blood from the cross. So going from the parable to the interpretation of the parable, which is this is heaven, the heavenly banquet, and we're invited. Then move a step forward just to the, just to the present day situation. Of course people reject this invitation. They don't want, they want, maybe they want the benefits. They would want to go to heaven, or they might want the consolation of thinking that God, you know, God loves them. But they're not willing to change their lives. And young people who grow up in the church, who don't realize what kind of invitation is being given them through the sacramental life, through being baptized and confirmed, through a life of receiving communion and going to confession, through a life of prayer and apostolate, it's, um, it's, it's pointless if they, don't, if, if they don't see that they've been invited to be part of this. It's silly. It doesn't make any sense. No one's ever answered my questions. They just told me to go along with it. And there are those also who do know exactly what's been asked of them. They do know that this is... This is God who has died for them, who's also asking them to give up their life for him. Maybe he's on the cusp of a religious or a priestly vocation, and then they, they stick their heels in. They are not willing to give up that much. And maybe with bitterness and maybe even with hatred, they reject all of this. Obviously, the, you know, the devil or the demons worm their way in to make this all the more fantastic and visceral and explosive. We should expect then people, we, we should expect people to hate us when we extend the invitation to come to the wedding banquet, to come to Mass, to come to the foretaste of heaven. Some people might receive it in a very benign way, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect that. Be grateful when they're docile. Those who don't know what's being 
asked of them ultimately think it's nice and social or interesting or the music's lovely or the um, whatever else. But those who do know, those who have, a, who have either a past experience or just profound current insight into the nature of the church, they may very well accept your invitation in a way which you don't even intend, right? You want them to come and discover it and decide they like it and want it, and that all sounds nice to you. But they may very well hear the invitation and know that you are asking them to give up their life, to repent of sin, to completely change everything for the sake of God. What, you, what you're extending is something very, in a very friendly way. It's just, I like it. I think you're going to like it. Don't you want to see? Someone with, someone with real insight knows that that's just nonsense. This means actually being, being a part of what's taking place here. This is not just a dude in thing, you know, weird clothes just saying prayers with his hands sticking out because, well, he's sort of he's speaking on behalf of everybody else. No, we, we know this is Christ at the cross and risen and ascended in heaven. This is Christ worshiping God the Father. Listen to the prayers. The prayers are all addressed to God the Father. This isn't, this is, it's a trick, right? Doesn't, God's tricking us all the time. I mean, the most common trick is, lay. Look at the, you know, look at that pretty lady. Isn't she? Isn't she pretty? And don't you want to marry her? And is and don't you want to propose marriage to her? Great. Now you have to be a saint. Otherwise, your life is miserable. Beautiful trick. Or look at that religious order. Aren't they cool? And aren't their habits awesome? And then, boom! All they do is penance. You have to be a saint. Otherwise, your life is going to be miserable. Or you wouldn't you want to be a priest? Look at that, and you get to offer mass, and then boom, got to be, got to try to be a saint. God is doing bait and switch all the time. He's good at it. Thank goodness, because if we knew what we were in for, we would never do the awesome things that are part of a human life. No one would get married. No one would enter the religious life. No one would get get ordained. We thank, once we're far enough along in our vocations, we thank God we didn't know how hard it would be because we're, we're so grateful he, he tricked us into this. No, when you extend the invitation to others, realize what you are doing to them. You are inviting them to be part of the mystical union of Christ to his bride, the church, and Christ to God the Father. You are introducing someone and inviting them to be part of something absolutely magnificent and beautiful and frightening and impossible for the human mind to comprehend and impossible for the human heart to sustain by its own power. You are introducing them into a a, a situation where 
there are only two options, either holiness because of God's grace or despair, death, and destruction. Right? Wouldn't it be better never to know Christ than to know him, love him, and fall away from him and be separated from him forever? So your invitations, the apostolate that we make, which we have to because we're baptized and confirmed. We can't just know that I have the secret to the cure of cancer, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to enjoy it. No, if you have something like that, you know your, 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 your very being screams out, I have to tell everyone about this. Some people might not believe me, but I have to tell them. When you know Christ crucified and risen and ascended who, who sanctifies you through the sacraments and who brings you into a union with him that will last into eternity in heaven. Of, co- of course you have to tell people about that. But by what? You don't even understand what's, what's happening if you don't tell people about that. If you have that knowledge, if you have that gift, if, you, if you've been given that and you don't want to tell people about it, it could very well be that you don't even really believe it. This is just a parable that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better. But if, you re- if we really believe this, we are compelled to tell people, to invite them, to entice them, to, to leave things such that they might discover it on their own, right? There's all sorts of approaches. But nevertheless, if we, if we really believe this, we will certainly want everyone to know and, to, and to, to have the same. But, but remember that you're asking them to die. You're asking them to, to give up everything. Not just sin, but to, but, but, but to ultimately to be detached from the world. Yes, we know this mystery visits everyone at the moment of their death to be detached from the world because you can't be attached to anything um, once you're dead. But we can't be too cute about it. Those without faith in Christ are lost. Those of us who think we have faith in Christ but don't really have faith are doubly lost. So I encourage you to pray, um, to pray for clear, clean Christian faith, to know the life that Christ um, offers you to understand his invitation. His invitation is to be completely repentant of sin, to live a life of virtue, of chastity, to live a, to live a life that recognizes the law of, of the creator woven into nature and to love and to sacrifice Let, and, and ask the Lord to to, to make you recommit to that, to that invitation that you, that you accepted verbally or was accepted on your behalf at your baptism. Make it clear every time, every time we 
touch the holy water and make the sign of the cross, that we are renewing our acceptance of that invitation at which we accepted the wedding garment. And we know that we are party to this to this wedding. He has died for us. He has cleansed us in his blood. Pray, too, that your life may be lived such that others will recognize something, something truly mystical and divine and powerful and effective and real. And pray for every Christian who's caught in a, in a fable that they think they believe but don't. Make us real Christians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.